0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, My name is Pastor John, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship, whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you've joined us online, thank you so much for participating in praising God and in hearing from His word this morning. Well, as you may know, one of probably the way that I like preaching the most is to go through a book of the Bible. And to hear what God says, you go through each part. And part of what's nice about that is it means that Scripture, what comes next in the passage, determines what we talk about here on Sunday morning. And part of what's also helpful about that is when it comes to topics that I may personally be tempted to steer away from or not talk about, preaching through a book means that I have to because it's the next thing that comes. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're entering a passage of it where Jesus is going to speak particularly about divorce, and he's also going to, by implication, talk about his view of marriage. So this is where we we have to go next, and divorce seems to be everywhere in our culture. I'm almost 100% positive that all of us either have been or we know someone who has experienced divorce but if we're going to handle this topic, we need a little bit of a broader focus. The passage that we're looking at, Jesus is just talking about divorce, but if we're going to really understand what his words mean, we're going to have to kind of expand what we're looking at. So the order of the service or of the sermon is going to be a little differently than how normally do it. Normally we just look at the passage we're in, but in this case we're going to talk about what the Bible says about marriage and what it says about divorce, and that will help us to understand Jesus's words and what he's really addressing here now there's two things though i need to say before we jump into this kind of two requests i have of you those of you who are here and those online the first request i have is that i i beg for your patience with this message i'm asking you to please be patient with this message because it's an incredibly complicated and very difficult topic And the goal that I have here is to talk first about what the Bible says and let God speak to this and look at some passages that address these subjects and then at the end bring in some application and how that impacts each of us. I'm also not going to cover in detail everything the Bible says about these topics because we would be here all day if I did that. This is more of a summary of what the Bible says about marriage and then divorce and then will apply it. And the reason I'm emphasizing that is because if I say something when I'm talking about this is what the Bible says about this, and you're offended by it or you have questions about it, hold on, be patient. Maybe when we get to the end, your objection will be addressed then. So this is a sermon. This is not a tweet. It's not in the moment. Everything you want is right there. This is a sermon. It goes all together. It builds to a point. So please be patient with what's happening here. I'd also say, maybe you're saying you're thinking that, well, I don't think this applies to me, either because I'm not married or you know divorce isn't something that I've experienced. But what Jesus is saying here actually impacts all of us. And there's application that every single person who's in this room and watching can draw from this text for our lives. And so I will address that at the end. So if you're patient, you will see how this impacts you. The second thing I'd like to ask you is I'd like to... More warn you and warn you against judging others as you listen to this message. The point of a sermon is for you to go grow, grow closer to God. That's why I'm sharing this. Is for each of you. My heart and concern is that you would know God more. I'm not sharing this so that you can look at your life and say, "Well, I'm better than some other people." That's that's not the point of a sermon. So I, I would ask you as you're listening to the sermon. Uh, don't listen to it with a thought in your mind of, oh, I know who needs to hear this one. That person I know, they, they need to hear what's being said here. If you want to share the sermon later, that, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm thankful when people do that, but that's, that's not the primary point of what's happening here. What you, we first should be doing is applying it to ourselves, having some self-application. And furthermore, just on a larger sense, divorce is very messy and complicated. And I think just as a matter of wisdom, we shouldn't try to determine whether someone else's divorce was biblical or not from our point of view. That that's a rough road to go down because we don't know all the details of that person's situation. Now, I'm going to be clear about talking what the biblical truth is, but I think as us in our humanness and our mistake-prone, we get into trouble if we try to look at a situation we don't understand and be able to determine what was right or wrong there. And that means that after this sermon, I have no interest in fielding questions like, Pastor John, so-and-so did this and this, and then this happened. What do you think about that? That I, I do not have any interest in talking about or having discussions like that. Now, if we talk and there's something personal to you that you're really struggling with wrestling through because it affects you personally, and you want to talk about your own experience, uh, we can have that conversation But again, that's not really what I'm looking for. What I'm really looking for is that we understand marriage and divorce in such a way that helps us to grow closer to the Lord and that God would comfort and challenge us with Christ's words. And so we would have a greater love, a greater devotion to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with those two things in mind, let's pray and then we'll talk about what the Bible says on these topics. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of looking at your word. Thank you that even when we get to things that are difficult or messy, you still give us truth. You still give us your presence. You are still with us, Lord. So I pray that we would see you and see what your intention is for marriage, to see what your thoughts are on divorce. And God, help each of us not to be thinking about others, but to think, how does this impact me? What do I need to do, God, in relation to these topics? God, help us to see how we live and help us to grow closer to you and to grow in our love for you. That's only possible because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that he would increase during this time, and may he get the glory. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So as we've kind of been mentioning, our text is about divorce, but in order to understand what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to back up, we need to start at the actual beginning and see what the Bible says about marriage. And so there's a couple of key facts about marriage that I want to emphasize. Again, this is not everything the Bible says about marriage, but we're going to talk about three kind of key truths about it. And the first is that marriage was created by God. It is, it was created by, by God. And marriage existed at the very beginning of humankind's existence. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, right when the very first man and woman, we read this, "Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him, I will create a helper fit for him. God decides to create a helper for man. And so he puts the first man in a deep sleep And from him he creates a woman, a helper. And after bringing them together, this is what the man says. This is how he responds. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then the author of the book adds a comment. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cling to his wife they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed what we see here is that god created marriage he created the institution the idea of bringing a man and woman together and he created all of the joys and pleasures that go with it and we also see here that this union between a husband and a wife it existed before there was sin in the world so before we as humans knew sin, new rebellion, new disobeying God, this union between husband and wife, yes, sex, that existed before there was sin. It is something good. This marriage relationship is full of joy and pleasure. It is a good thing created by God. And this is important to emphasize because there are some parts in the larger culture around us that talk about marriage as if it's something restrictive. You're losing your freedom, your choice. It's holding you back from being who you want to be. And while that could be true in someone's situation, that's not its intention. It was something created by God to be good. If we look at the book of Proverbs, it says very simply in Proverbs 18, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is supposed to be a good and a wonderful blessing from God. It was created by him. Marriage is also, though, supposed to be a lifelong covenant, a lifelong covenant or commitment agreement. Marriage is supposed to be a lifelong covenant. We also see this in Scripture. Jesus talks about this in the book of Matthew, in chapter 19, 4 through 6. He's answering a question and he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, this should look familiar, we just read this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus explains, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. A husband and a wife, in God's design, are to be one flesh. Their relationship is not one that's supposed to be separated. They were joined by God. And so this covenant, this agreement, this promise is supposed to last until death. That's what it lasts from, from the agreement until one spouse dies. Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. If she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. That's talking about a woman, but the same is true for a man. A man who lives with another wife would be, another woman would be an adulterer. The point is that marriage is supposed to be lifelong, as many say in their vows, till death Do us part. So, marriage is not something that lasts forever, but it is something that should last at least one spouse's lifetime. In a marriage, couples are making a binding agreement before God that to one another they will show love no matter what. And that's important. The agreement is that they are going to show love to one another. Because feelings of love may come and go, our feelings can change by the day, by the hour, by the minute. But what marriage is supposed to be is a commitment that I'm going to show love to this person throughout the rest of my life. I'm going to show actions of love and faithfulness. This is God's intention for what marriage is supposed to be. One scholar, D.A. Carson, said, "Initially, initially, at the beginning, when God created it, all divorce was inconceivable. When God made men and women, no allowance was made for it. That was his design. In the garden, before sin, that was his purpose, that marriage should last for a lifetime. It's not intended to be something that stops. It's not something we grow out of. It's something we grow deeper into. Learning more about another person and learning more about God's love for us. You might say, well, what does God's love for us have to do with marriage? Well, another truth scripture tells us about marriage is that it really is a picture of Jesus and the church. Marriage is really a picture of of the relationship between Jesus and the church, every single person who has a relationship with him. This is what marriage is really about. It's more than just an agreement, a covenant between two people. It's also a picture of something bigger. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Ephesians 5, because it talks about daily life, but it also talks about the great mysteries that are all around us, the great truth of what God's doing in the world. This is a verse we should be a little familiar with. We read it, but we've also read this one now in this sermon three times. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And Paul, writing this, says, this mystery, what's happening here is profound. I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. He's saying what a marriage is really about is a picture, a reflection, a demonstration of what Jesus' love for his people looks like. So in the end, a marriage is really not about a husband and a wife. It is about Jesus. And marriages that we see on earth are really looking forward to that ultimate heavenly marriage. When Christ returns, his people will be married, united to him forever. That is what marriage is looking forward to. So what this is teaching us is these other things we talked about, how marriage created by God, it's supposed to be lifelong. We may leave some parts of the Bible thinking, oh, marriage is the greatest thing that there is. But what this is showing us is marriage itself, as we understand it on earth, is not ultimate. It's not the end game because it's a picture of Christ. And so that means if you are not married, that doesn't mean you're a less than person. That doesn't mean that you're incomplete. If you're not married it means and you're a believer it means you're looking forward to your wedding to christ you're engaged to him you're looking forward to being united with him and that's still good that is wonderful and if someone though has a healthy biblical christ-centered marriage then what they're doing is showing the world and showing other believers this is what it looks like when jesus loves his people the kind of self-sacrificial love that we show for one another our unbreakable bond, this is how Christ loves us. It's supposed to be a picture. So those are a few key things that we see about marriage in the Bible, but now that we know how God views marriage, we can now look at how, what the Bible says about divorce. And again, there's a couple things we want to emphasize here. The first is that divorce is serious. Divorce is serious. So now we can read our text, if you are reading uh, along with the main passage we're focusing on. It's also on the screen, Matthew five thirty one and 32. Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, if you've been here, we've been talking about what this passage is from. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon Jesus is, getting where he is giving. He's explaining to his people, to his audience, what it looks like to be a citizen of God's kingdom. What does it look like if we have a relationship with God and we're living in this world? How should we live? And what he's doing right now, this part is saying the way we should live is have exceeding righteousness. We should live in a way that's good and that's right and that's different from the rest of the world. To explain this, he quotes from the Old Testament law. He says, you have heard it said this, something was said here, but this is what it really looks like as you live it out. And so the same thing is happening here. Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament and he says, it was also said, you have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her, he must give her a certificate, a written notice of divorce. The law Jesus is quoting here is from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 24 says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, she departs out of his house. House. So that's the law Jesus is quoting. He's summarizing it a bit. This passage in Deuteronomy goes on to add that if this woman marries again, then the first husband cannot uh, marry her at a later time. So that was there. Though the point it was trying to convey is that marriage has worth and value. But in Jesus' day, this passage had been twisted, its meaning had been distorted. And the way people took it was the way Jesus said. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So what it meant is, if I want to divorce someone, all I have to do is hand them a piece of paper, and then off they go, and that's the end of it. And this is not the purpose of what this law was here for. The reason this law was here was particularly to protect the wife. And so what it is saying is if a wife has been divorced, the husband has to give her something to say that she is not at fault, there is nothing wrong with her, we are moving apart in our relationship. But the opposite was happening. People were using it, this person, I don't like this person, so I'm done with them, here's a certificate of divorce. So Jesus is really adding a correction to that here. He's saying, no, what this is supposed to mean is that everyone and anyone who divorces uh, one from another, unless it's for the reason of sexual immorality or unfaithfulness, but anybody who does that is making their spouse, causing them to commit adultery. And anyone who marries that person afterwards is also be, would be committing adultery. So the point Jesus is making here is that divorce is serious. It's much more than signing a piece of paper. It's much more serious than that. It, you cannot end marriage just by signing a piece of paper and then it's done and you can move on with your life. His point is that God cares about marriage. He does not want his good gift cast aside thrown away lightly. So to divorce is very serious because it's not God's intention for marriage. That also means that divorce is tragic. It's serious, but it's also tragic because it's breaking something that was not meant to be broken. We already talked about some of Jesus's words when he was talking about marriage in Matthew 19, but that came from a discussion where he was talking about divorce. So we read a couple of these verses already, but now we're going to read what comes before and what comes after it to see what the main point he was making. So some Pharisees, some religious leaders came up to Jesus. They tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That was a discussion in Jesus's day. Religious leaders would debate, why can you divorce? Why can you not divorce? But this is what Jesus said. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So, Jesus' point is, they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is saying, you're arguing about what should and shouldn't be divorced, but God doesn't want it to happen. Well, they're confused. They say to him, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now, I took some time to kind of italicize, emphasize some words there. I think we're seeing the difference of what Jesus is trying to convey um, in this passage. He's saying that it wasn't that Moses commanded you to divorce. It's that Moses allowed in certain circumstances. And that's why he talks about a certificate of divorce. Even if someone is in a situation where divorce is warranted, it's a reason scripture says, even if it's in a place that it works out better for someone, it's still, in a sense, a tragedy that a marriage is broken because it's meant to be lifelong. And this is the opposite of what we see if we're outside the walls of the church. Out there, divorce is often celebrated as a good thing. And I know in some circumstances it, it works out if there's something really wrong going on, but we still have to understand that that's not God's intention for what marriage is supposed to be. And it's, it's sometimes it's sad and it is tragic to see the world celebrate it. Uh, the other day I was going for a run in my neighborhood and I went past a, somebody's car and they had a bumper sticker that said, I am a divorce coach. If you're thinking about divorce, I can help. Now, I, I'm, I'm not judging or looking down on, on that person. I don't know their full story. I don't know what led them to be there. But what just struck me as tragic is that someone can make a living helping other people to divorce. And again, the, we'll talk about scriptural reasons where that may be appropriate. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just There are many people who make a living over something that's not God's intention or purpose for the world. And the fact that that happens is sad. It's tragic. And the impact of divorce around us is something we can see very clearly. Sometimes when we're in the church, we mourn over sexual immorality that we don't understand that we see in our larger culture, whether it's issues of pornography or Um, homosexuality or things we may say though that's wrong why why is that happening but in many ways those things are a direct result of our failure to consistently model God's design for marriage if we're not modeling the faithfulness purity self-sacrificial love that Jesus intends for marriage why are we surprised when we see people not living that way in the world around us they don't know Jesus and if they can't see Jesus in our relationships then then where will they see it? This is also why there's a lot of confusion in the culture about what exactly sex is. God's design, his purpose for sex, is it's supposed to be within a marriage relationship. It's supposed to be where someone is able to experience that physical pleasure and that emotional connection that we were made for. That's where it's supposed to be. But if that circumstance is not there, then we shouldn't be surprised at sexual confusion. So divorce, even when it may be necessary, is a tragedy because it's not God's design. Now, Scripture does talk about circumstances where, I want to use Jesus' words here, where divorce is allowed. There are circumstances where divorce is allowed in Scripture. But Scripture only gives us two biblical reasons. And I will talk about other things, but the Bible gives us two biblical reasons for divorce. The first one it gives us is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And we got that from our passage we're looking at today, Matthew 5, 31, 32. It it talks about the sexual immorality or unfaithfulness. So let's look at it one more time. It says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So it's here. It's except on the ground of sexual immorality. Because God's purpose for sex is to be enjoyed in the marriage relationship, enjoyed between a husband and a wife. So if someone is pursuing sexual satisfaction outside of the marriage relationship, then they have broken that covenant, that agreement, where that is supposed to happen. Now, Again, this is talking about a reason where it could be, and Jesus' words is, are allowed. Just because someone has been sexually immoral, that doesn't mean a marriage has to end in divorce, and the Bible does praise extending grace and forgiveness, even when it's not deserved. We don't have really the time to dive into it today, but there's a, a powerful picture in the life of the prophet Hosea. His wife went astray, but in modeling God's love for us, he pursued her and continued to love her. And so even when this happens in the life of a believer, there should be hope for restoration. Now notice that word it said, I said a hope for restoration. That's not a guarantee. Do not hear me saying up here that if two people are Christians, they should be able to work through someone cheating. Now that, that's, that, that'd be too far there, but there's hope for restoration in a marriage. Not a guarantee in every case, but hope. And so if someone's spouse has been unfaithful, then I would say, if you're here, you're listening, you know someone, encourage them to get help, to seek counseling, to take time to process what has happened. If there's been sexual immorality, that's that's not God's intention for a marriage. There will be brokenness, there will be hurt, and they'll need a lot of time to process through it. This is not something to be rushed. If someone had an affair and they say a month later they're both over it, I I think they're lying. Uh, This is something that, that takes a long time, months and months, if not years and years, to process through. There's hope for restoration, but it won't be immediate. It will take time. But on the other hand, there's a reason this allowance for divorce is here, except on the ground of sexual immorality. This condition for divorce exists to protect spouses, to protect a spouse from being taken advantage of by another. If one spouse is... Having multiple affairs or is committed to someone else, well, there, God provides a way for his child to be taken care of to say that that's a situation that you can be out of. You don't need to be hurt repeatedly in that situation. Again, not hard and fast rules, but there is an allowance, a way for that marriage to end because neither a husband or a wife gets free reign sexually. They are supposed to be committed to one another. This is something our culture will say, oh, that's very restrictive. You're restraining someone's sexual desires. But a marriage is where it's supposed to be. If you are committed to one another, if you're loving each other no matter what, that is that safe place to experience emotional connection and physical pleasure. But when these two things are are separated, when they're happening in other areas, then God's design is marred. It is distorted. This is, again, why divorce is so serious, why sin is so serious. And so I want to emphasize again, yes, this is here, yes, there's hope for restoration, but this is not a reason why we should be so, any sexual sin I have is okay. That's not a conclusion that we should take from this. We shouldn't let that God promises forgiveness, that there's hope for restoration, lead us into sin. We should not pursue our own way in contrast to God's word. If we're married, our goal should be to honor our spouse with our minds and our bodies. So one reason God says that you can divorce is for sexual immorality. The second one that we see in the Bible is abandonment. Abandonment. The other New Testament passage that talks about divorce in great depth is 1 Corinthians 7. Paul writes about it and he talks about this. So he talks about abandonment. It's 7, 10 through 13, and then I'll jump to 15. So Paul says, to the married I give this charge. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents or agrees to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So this situation it's describing is if one spouse is an unbeliever or uh, doesn't profess to be following Christ and wants to leave, it says it's okay, that person can go. They may divorce. Again, though, just because that reason is there doesn't mean divorce has to happen, but that is an allowance that's given. So the conclusion we can draw about divorce from the Bible is that there's only two biblical reasons for divorce, sexual immorality and abandonment. Let me remind you of the warning I gave at the beginning. If our years of our mind are churning thinking about others, let's don't pass judgment. On someone else. And even that's not my role. I'm not standing up here thinking about particular people and passing judgment on you. That is not my role. I'm communicating what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. And remember why these reasons are here. These reasons are here to protect the innocent. In many cases, these reasons are here particularly to protect women living in the time that this was written, early in the first century, Because a woman wouldn't have as many opportunities to provide for herself outside of a marriage relationship. Things are different now, and that's wonderful. But at this time, there really wasn't a lot of options for a woman. So these were given to provide for her, to protect her. If her husband was cheating on her, there's an allowance for divorce there. If your husband kicks you out of the house because you're a Christian, then that's okay. You can be divorced. It's there to protect people. Now, before we move on with the sermon, I need to take a little sidebar or a rabbit trail because if we're thinking particularly in the 21st century, there may be one reason for divorce that may come through our mind that, that wasn't listed there, that wasn't specifically talked about in terms of sexual morality or abandonment. We may think, why is there no mention here of abuse, of domestic violence, or something like that? Why is that not mentioned in Scripture? Well, the truth is, God does hate all forms of abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, or sexual. God, abuse is not okay in any way, shape, or form in God's eyes. We get that from Scripture by just reading how every person has been created in the image of God. If we've been made in God's image, he desires what is best for us. He gives us unique value and dignity. And if someone is suffering, God desires for that suffering to end and God is a God of justice. He brings justice to every situation. We may not see it on this side of eternity, but he he does. In the Old Testament, he talks about judgment, an eye for an eye. God cares. He wants to bring relief. He desires to. So yes, that's not specifically talked about here, and it hasn't been talked about very often throughout the history of the church, and it, it probably should have been. It should have been. So what some scholars do looking at this or thinking about it, they may look particularly at this 1 Corinthians 7 passage, and they may make the argument that if one spouse is abusing another, then they have abandoned their spouse in the way 1 Corinthians is describing. Particularly if someone claims to be a Christian and they abuse their spouse, well, then they're not reflecting Christ's love at all. And so what someone may do in that circumstance or a church may do is they may approach that individual after making sure that the spouse who's been abused is safe. They may approach that individual and say, this is a sin, this is something you need to repent and turn away from. And if the person refuses to do that after a few people come to them, after the the church itself addresses it, then the church would excommunicate that person. And all that means is the church is saying, we don't recognize you as a believer. You may say you are, but your life doesn't live it out. We can't affirm that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And at that point, you could say, well, the church recognizes them as an unbeliever. They have abandoned their spouse. That's an occasion where divorce may come in. Again, these issues are extremely complicated. They require much thought and prayer. I'm not up here laying down hard and fast rules for every single situation. In every case, there should be much counsel with other believers. The most important part to emphasize we're talking about abuse, and anybody who's here hearing me or online, if you do not feel safe in a relationship, get help. Get help. It is okay, you can do it, you can get help. If there's abuse or the threat of abuse, call an abuse hotline, separate from your partner, and involve the appropriate authorities. Call someone, Separate, involve the appropriate authorities. your safety is most important. We as a church, we will help with that. If, if you are experiencing an abuse, get in touch with us. We will find a place for you to be where you can be safe it 's difficult to speak to speak about what the relationship may look like down the road. Maybe restoration could come to a situation with the abuse. Maybe the person who was the abuser will recognize their sin, repent of it truly, and be changed from the inside out. maybe that will happen. But in the immediate, we need to talk about safety first, safety for the person who's been abused. Sometimes we may have passages in our mind, and we may be saying, oh, there shouldn't be a divorce. Let's get people safe, and then we'll have that conversation about what should or shouldn't happen. God cares for his people. It does not bring him pleasure to see them in pain. Now, that's not what this sermon is really about, and there's probably much more that we could say about it and should, but since that wasn't specifically addressed, I wanted to talk about it. So now we've kind of covered what the Bible says generally about marriage, how it talks about it was created by God. It's a lifelong covenant, and it's a picture of Jesus and his relationship to his church. And we've talked about what the Bible says specifically about divorce and how it says that divorce is serious, it's not something to enter into lightly, it's tragic, it's breaking something that's not supposed to be broken, and the Bible gives two biblical reasons for it, which are sexual morality or abandonment. But now finally we can start thinking about how does this apply to us? How does this impact me? And what the Bible says about marriage and divorce applies to every one of us. If we were a follower of Jesus Christ, we can all answer this question. What is my role in protecting marriage and preventing divorce? If marriage is important to God, he values it, then each of us has a role to play in protecting marriage as God intends it. And if divorce is really serious and it's tragic, then each of us has a role to play in preventing it from happening when it should not. Again, we talked about reasons why it may be allowed, but we're talking about when it should not. We're all called to this mission. Again, I know I've said this twice already. Let me put another warning about judging others here. Scripture is not a weapon we should yield against others. It works best as a tool for self-examination, to cut, to check our own hearts. This is the time to apply these truths to ourselves. So what I'm going to try to do, I've thought through it, I'm going to try to address every kind of person who's in the room right now and talk about answering this question. What is my role what is our role in protecting marriage and preventing divorce so to start I'll, I'll start with those who are young and never married single people so if you've never been married and you're young you're looking at marriage maybe in the future and you're desiring marriage you would like to be married someday let's start here well if that's you i'd say it is a good thing that you desire marriage it's a good thing created by god i would remind you though of two things The first thing I remind you of is we talked about how marriage is not ultimate. That marriage is not the most important thing in our existence. That marriage is mostly about Jesus and his relationship to us. So I know you want it, but don't make it the most important thing in your life. The second thing I will say to you, if you're someone who's desiring marriage or looking to be married someday, is we talked a lot about divorce. There's a reason why divorce is common in our world. That reason is that marriage is hard. It's difficult. It's two sinful people being put together and they see each other in all their sinfulness. There's nothing that they can hide from one another. And that makes it hard. Marriage is hard. And so if you're looking forward to marriage, I'll be happy when I'm married and everything will be wonderful, then marriage is not going to solve all your problems. And if you think it will, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. So it's a good thing you desire marriage. Remember, it's not ultimate, and it will be hard. You shouldn't rush into it if you're not ready. Divorce is very serious. Pray, think carefully before you marry someone because it's meant to be a lifelong commitment. You're committing to love that person. So some young people may be there, but some of you may be young, never married. You may also be in a position where you're not really thinking about marriage you're in a place, I, I don't really want to think about marriage uh, right now. And we talked about marriage is not the most important thing. You don't have to. So do not hear me saying that you have to think about it. All I will say though is I would think about your reasons why you, you are not thinking about it. If it's because you are passionate about serving God in this moment with where you are in life right now, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. I would encourage you to continue doing that. But sometimes it may you may have seen hard marriages, maybe your parents had a difficult marriage, maybe they divorced, or maybe you know others, and it just seems too hard too much for you, and you'd rather not think about it or not take that risk. And even though it's hard, it is a good thing. It is something worth pursuing if God gives you that desire. If he's called you otherwise to serve him with your life as, as just yourself and long for the day you're not united to Jesus in marriage, then, then do that. But it is also worth pursuing if you want to pursue it on this side of eternity. The next group of people I' talk to is those who also aren't married. So those who are single, either you're at a place where you're no longer thinking about marriage, or maybe you've been widowed or, or something else has happened, but you're in a place of your life, you, it's just you, and you really doubt that you'll get married again. You may say, Pastor John that that didn't happen to me or that already happened to me that part of my life is over what does any of this have to do with me well i realize you're not married but you still have a role to play in god's church and particularly as it relates to marriage and divorce and one of the primary roles you you can play is to pray to pray for the marriages in our church to pray for husbands and wives together because it's so difficult because divorce is so common Pray that husbands and wives would remain committed to one another. You can also take time to support and encourage couples. If you see a couple that, that may be struggling or going through a difficult time, pray for them, support them. Try to encourage them any way you can. That's a wonderful thing about being a church family is we're able to encourage one another. So that was what I would say. if you're in that place where you don't think you'll be married or married again, pray and sup- for one another and support couples. So now let's talk about people who are married. How should we think through this? Well, let's say that you're in a marriage and it's difficult. It's, it's struggling. If you were to put it nicely, you'd say you were unhappily married. If you were to put it harshly, you may use some other words. So your marriage is, is struggling. You, perhaps you argue a lot. Perhaps you wonder, is this even worth it? Is it even worth trying to stay married? Let me assure you from what we talk about in Scripture, it is It is worth it. It is worth it to persevere through the hard times, to model Christ's love. Unless it's some of the reasons we talked about earlier in the sermon, unless we're talking about sexual morality or abandonment, it is worth it for you to pursue it. God's desire for your marriage is that it continue and not end in divorce. So I'd encourage you, it may be hard, it may be difficult, but fight for your marriage do whatever you can to avoid the tragedy of divorce. There is more pain down that road than there is in fighting through it, in seeking to love one another the way Christ loves us. But what if you're on the other side, and you're married, and you're very happily married, and you rarely, if ever, think about that word divorce or that concept at all. So what does this have? to do with you. Maybe, well, I know these things about marriage, Pastor John, and I'm not thinking about divorce, so I guess this sermon doesn't apply to me today. Well, again, it it does. I I praise God that you have happy marriage that honors him, but you should get more from this message than that you can look at somebody else and sit back and say, yikes, they have a rough marriage. I'm glad I'm not in that situation. If you're in a great situation in marriage, then, then help someone who is struggling. If you see someone who's struggling in their marriage, train them, teach them, have a conversation with them in a spirit of gentleness and humility about how to help their marriage succeed. I realize it's very hard in the time of coronavirus, but find a way to spend time with them so that you're able to encourage that couple who's struggling. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a passage from Titus, particularly talking about women, but the same would be true for men. It says, older women are to be reverent, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And then it says, the older women are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. If you have a happy marriage and had for a long time, that's wonderful. Please talk to those of us who are younger, because we could learn from you. Many who are younger couples want to learn from you and from your example. So don't sit back and say, well, man, those young people, they're messing up their marriages today. Well, invite us over. Show us how you live together. Show us how you interact. And that will help us know how we can have a marriage that lasts as long as yours. If you're still alive, you have the opportunity to show people what a God-honoring marriage looks like. You still have a role to play, and that is the role you can play. We can learn from one another. Invite others to see your relationship. Well, finally, let's like talk to those who are who are divorced, who have experienced divorce. So, if you've been divorced for what would be one of those we talked about biblical reasons, there you divorced it was because of sexual morality or some type of a abandonment. Then I just want to say I'm sorry. I, I am sorry for your brokenness and that. You had to experience that. Uh, I obviously don't have that experience, and so I, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I, I'm deeply sorry that you had to experience that type, of, that type of pain. And I'm also sorry for any brokenness you may have felt within and a lack of understanding from God's people. The reason I emphasize those judging things is because it can be very easy for those of us to sit in our ivory towers and, and say, oh, well, that person's doing it wrong over there. And if you divorce for a biblical reason, maybe people don't know that, and it could be very difficult to get comments about that. So I, I'm, I'm sorry that you may have experienced that. I want you to know, though, that God loves you, that God knows exactly what you've been through. He understands, and he loves you. And if there's an application for you, I would just say that understand God's good design and purpose for what marriage was meant to be. I know your experience with marriage was not good, but that doesn't mean that marriage is bad. And so you too can still pray for those who are married that their marriages would reflect Christ. And I realize you may say that's not fair for me to say, but God still has a good purpose within marriage. I'm sorry for your pain, but please pray that other marriages would be able to reflect Christ. If you experience that, I imagine you wouldn't want others to go through it, so pray that they will not. And the last kind of application I'll have is if you were divorced and it wasn't for one of those reasons or you're unsure if it was. Let me assure you, my, my goal in this message is not to force you to relive your painful past. That, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to sit here and dig up things that you may have worked through or, or thought through. The reason we're talking today is because we're going through God's word and God's word is there to comfort us and to also challenge us. And if you think, I don't know if I was divorced for a biblical reason, well, friend, you are not beyond God's grace. Your sin may have consequences, yes, but God offers forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The reason we're here in the church is because Jesus came to earth, and he lived for us, he lived perfectly, and by his death on the cross, he paid for our sin, whether it was divorce or anything other sin that we have that separated us from God. And because he paid for it, we can now have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We can know him. We can look forward to that ultimate marriage to come. And maybe our earthly marriage didn't work out, but that one will if we know Jesus Christ. And so that hope is available for you. That hope is available for anyone who knows that, yes, my sin is separated me from God. You can turn away from that sin. You can repent, turn away from it, express your trust, call out to God and say, God, I need you to save me and be with me. I can have a conversation with you if you want to know more about that, but that's something any person can do. You can know Jesus Christ. You should know Jesus Christ. If you don't, please talk to someone about that. Now, if you are someone who was divorced and you're not sure, you think it might have been for a reason that that wasn't quite here in Scripture, and if you've remarried since then, you're like, what are you saying, Pastor John? I I am not asking you to go back and and fix the past. In many cases, that's that's impossible. And especially if you've been remarried, well, then practice God's standard of faithfulness to your spouse now and model Christ's love for your spouse that you have. That's a lot. That's a difficult subject. And perhaps you're thinking about, pastor, what about this? Pastor, what, what, what about that? Individual cases are going to be complicated. I'm trying to talk in a way that hopefully impacts all of us and all of us can be able to see what is my role in protecting marriage and preventing divorce. This is something that we all can do together because marriage is in trouble around us. Divorce and far worse sins are common. And there's Two things we can do about that. We can either complain about that and say it's a shame culture's go into hell in a handbasket, or we can take seriously what Jesus says about marriage and divorce. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, we must start with ourselves. We must start at the beginning. We must observe the law of God in our own personal, individual lives. And then and then only will we be entitled to trust nations and peoples. And to expect a different type of conduct and behavior from the world at large. Church, it has to start in here. Until we get it right in here, they'll never get it right out there. And the only way we get it right is being completely surrendered and dependent on Jesus Christ and relying on him. Not trying to make something work from our stubbornness, but recognizing, God, I need your help in this situation. I need you Church, my prayer is that we would protect marriage and prevent divorce because that's God's intention. It's his purpose. It brings him glory. And he's worthy of that glory and praise.